Greek life was very sexualized. It was just assumed that if you were going to be in there, the way that you like got popular and got to the top was having fun, especially um, like having sex with the right person, whether it was in a relationship or not, like um, that was a needed to be like a part of your identity that you were very sexually attractive. When you think about Greek life, Christian faith might be the absolute last thing that comes to mind. But we not only believe that it's possible to be Greek and Christian, but also that it's the best way to experience Greek life and grow your faith. We have real, honest conversations about how to approach Greek life from a Christian perspective, including things like recruiting and pledging, drinking and drugs, sex and dating, leadership and philanthropy, and much more. This podcast is by Greeks and for Greeks. Our hosts and guests are all members of fraternities and sororities who collectively have decades worth of experience living out their faith in Greek life. Welcome to the Greek and Christian podcast. Hey, everybody. If you are just joining us, like you heard in our intro, our podcast is all about the intersection of faith and Greek life. Um, And I'm Allison. I'm your host. I'm a PiFi alum. And if you've been listening for a while, you know that some of these episodes, I just ride solo on them. And that's super fun. Uh, But I really love when I can have uh, my uh, co-hosts on. So we've kind of had this rotating uh, arsenal. No, that's not a good word. Rotating crew of guest hosts, co-hosts on the show. And uh, today we have the OG co-host with us, the one who started it all at the beginning with me. You know him, J-Mac, John, King Mackerel, Mac Attack. Any, any nicknames I missed, John? No, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good sample. Uh, yeah, there's others. Jay Mizzle. There was a senior in my fraternity when I was a freshman, freshman pledging. Uh, he used to take Holy Mackerel, Spanish Mackerel, and King Mackerel, and he just called me Holy Spanish King. That was his nickname all through pledge season. So I'd just be at a party and I'd hear him yell that out from across the, the room, you know, bring me I over, put it. his arm around me, give me like useless advice about life and stuff like that. All the fun stuff. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm very glad to have you here. Everybody in the audience, if you follow us on Instagram, you know that we have asked for your thoughts on the podcast. We want to know what you want to hear. And overwhelmingly, you all wanted a season on sex and relationships. And so last week uh, was our first episode of the season. It was just a deep dive. Hey, what does God think about sex? Uh, What's God's purpose for sex? Um, And this week we have another topic. Uh, But before we get into that, Um, I asked Mindy, our guest last week, uh, a question, and I would love, John, for you to answer it as well. So what's the worst advice you've ever been given about sex and or dating? Oh, man. Worst advice. Um, Probably anything that begins with girls like it when, (laughs) you know, any guy that's like, dude, girls like it when you're confident or when you work out or girls like guys who play the guitar or they do this in bed or whatever the response is, fill in the blank. And my response or thought was always like, yeah, you probably have no idea what girls like, you know, you, what you probably did is you found the one girl that liked the one thing that you did. And now you think, you know, what all girls like because of that. And in reality, it's probably like, no, you're probably a one trick pony. that got lucky. So, (laughs) you know, Every girl's different. Uh, so yeah, I think I, I take a grain of salt when, whenever I, you know, meet a guy that's like, Hey, girls like it when you blah, blah, blah. 
I think that's wise. Anyway, during this season, uh, we want to have real conversations about God and sex. Uh, we believe that God created sex, like you heard in the first episode, as a good gift. Um, and we really want to dispel the myths about sex and Christianity, because I think if you if you grew up in the church, you might have heard all kinds of messages, maybe good messages, maybe not so good messages about sex. And if you didn't grow up in the church, I mean, maybe you have this idea that Christians are just kind of these like boring, you know, stuffy people where, you know, they don't have sex at all. And so we want to dispel those myths about God and sex and relationships. Um, and so we are kicking off our individual topics for the season. And this week we are talking about hooking up. So whether you call it friends with benefits, a fling, I've also heard friend relationships thrown in there or a casual hookup, it's a common occurrence in Greek life. So what does God think about hooking up? That is what we will be focusing on today. And so our guest this week is Michelle Lindsay. Hey, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, yeah, so glad you're here. And like with all of our guests, I'm going to talk you up a little bit so that our audience understands how fantastic you are. Love it. Cool. Great. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So Michelle is a Delta Zeta alumna from Arizona State University, which Michelle, I believe, is it still the biggest public university in the United States? Yeah, pretty sure. I think that um, I think that like includes all the different campuses combined together. I don't know if it's a single oh, campus, sure. so there's probably some people who could argue it, but. Um, you served as a Panhellenic delegate for your chapter, so you're involved with Panhellenic. And then when you graduated, you served as an advisor for Delta Zeta. So Michelle loves Greek life. Um, and also Michelle and her husband, Greg, worked for a number of years with Greek and varsity. So they uh, led the ministry of Greek IV at Arizona State, um, and they really love Greek students. Uh, one fun fact about Michelle, is that she has written for the Greek IV blog. Uh, so you want to look up the stuff that she's written. She's written a few devotionals for Greek IV, as well as I'm pretty sure you wrote this excellent article about dating. Um, and so you'll have to go back and check those out. In the uh, archives. Web yeah. Website. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but still good, you know, still good. Um, and now Michelle works for Blue Cross Blue Shield in communications. Welcome, Michelle. Yeah. So Michelle, uh, what was your view of sex and dating coming into college? I grew up in a really conservative um, Christian home coming into college. And so um, for me, it was like, let's um, experience everything that I wasn't allowed to living under my parents' home, right? Like freedom, um, use it as a way to have fun and um, it can kind of be with anyone that I feel attracted to. Yeah. Yep. Sort of breaking the, the chains, uh, the shackles of uh, the conservative uh, upbringing and just uh, kind of letting loose. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. When you came to ASU and joined your sorority, like, what was the dating scene like there? And did you feel pressure around sex, hooking up, all that stuff? Yeah. So ASU, when you come to school in triple digit um, hot weather, 
people wear very minimal clothing as it is. Um, so, so at ASU, all of the uh, kind of like pre-recruitment clothes, um, you could call them clothes, right? But it's minimal fabric. Um, and that's purely really because it's so hot. People, if they're going to be like outside sporting, you know, whatever, like pre-recruitment clothes, um, kind of trying to brand their organization. So, so new college students know who they are, or their reputation, whatever. Um, they don't, they don't want to like profusely be sweating. So, you know, um, that kind of sets a tone of like very, uh, at least for the girls, like everything is very like sexualized, right? Like, um, it's 115 degrees. People are wearing minimal clothing because it's really hot. You're going to see a lot of people's bodies. I remember welcome week, they hand out like coupon books and, um, multiple like coupons. This is so strange. And they probably don't do this anymore, but multiple coupons were like, get 50% off like, uh, boob jobs, you know, or like just plastic surgery was also something that was like heavily promoted within the student population. And I know, you know, plastic surgery has different people have different opinions about it, but the way in which it was promoted, um, especially like women's bodies and the way that they were perceived, it was extremely over-sexualized. Right. And so, um, I remember there was also like a calendar where like all the sorority girls, basically it was like a sports illustrated version, you know, ASU version, um, and it was supposed to, I think, like raise money for philanthropy, as ironic as that is. But different women had a different month. So anyway, I, I say this to say, like, Greek life was very sexualized. It was just assumed mm. that if you were going to be in there, the way that you like got popular and got to the top was having fun, especially um, like having sex with the right person, whether it was in a relationship or not, like, um, that was a needed to be like a part of your identity that you were very sexually attractive. Mm. Wow. And so what was like a typical weekend for you at ASU? Like when you, what, what did that look like? Yeah. It's funny that you asked that. Cause I want to say, I don't even remember. Cause it was it involved <laughs> a lot of blacking out. Right. Yeah. Um, pre-gaming <laughs> funny enough. I, so I kind of grew up as like a tomboy. <clears throat> and so even though I felt like I needed to, um, like look really attractive, I also wanted to have this edge to me that like, was I can get along with the guys, you know? And so I would try and like keep up in drinking games with the guys. And I'm just like, you know, this like skinny tall girl, you know, trying to beat out some guy who's got a hundred pounds on me with taking mm-hmm. shots or um, playing beer pong or something. And um, of course I was going to black out if I was drinking that much. There's no way that I was going to have the same stamina as, you know, these, fraternity dudes. So, um, yeah, it involved a lot of honestly, just like blacking out and not even remembering what I did and finding out about it the next day. Mm. Um, trying to weekends were all about like texting people to figure out like what was the best party to show up to, um, with the best looking people that would take the best photos. Um, so again, just like feeding into that image and like reputation so that I would be you know, well-known and, and popular within mm. that. I think there were probably at that time, I know that the um, Greek system has grown a lot at ASU, but at that time it was probably like 4,500 
students. So a small percentage of the overall population, but um, yeah, just wanting to be known by all 4,500, right? Yeah. It never ceases to amaze me the, the like the type of roles that people take on in Greek life. Like even though you went yeah. to ASU, I went to Clemson University in South Carolina, but I could name like sorority women that played that role that was like the yeah. the guy's girl and the drinking games and, and all of that and um yeah very much the same in fraternity life as well people taking on those characteristics of being yeah the funny guy or the cool guy or the hot guy or uh yeah um and similarly, with the relational capital that you mentioned, like trying to make sure that you not only look the part, but that you get with the person that also looks the part, you know, and if you can do that, it's kind of like multiplying uh, the appearance factor and um, very much, yeah, uh, the same across the board. Yeah, that is funny that you mentioned that, John, that just like, um, <laughs> oftentimes, we think that our story is like unique just to like, you know, what we're doing, but oftentimes you can find people ex having that same sort of experience or same sort of struggle or same sort of insecurity in a, in a totally different environment, right? Like ASU oh, like and Clemson, very different, um, like culture, like state cultures. Right. So, but, yeah. but yeah, there is no, um, there is nothing under the sun, right? That people haven't struggled with. That's that's mm -hmm. new or fresh. Like, I feel like the enemy definitely spews the same kind of lies to try and um, trip people up in their identity and who they are, so that they can't fully step into all that God has for them. Was there uh, so coming to, um, yeah, the hookup scene? Uh, was there ever a moment that? Yeah, where things didn't feel quite right. What I hear you saying is a lot of your story was like, at least in the beginning, was trying to, you know, uh, join a sorority, kind of go with the flow, look the part, be the part, be the guy's girl that hangs out with the guys, all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, just kind of going with the flow. Was there ever a moment where it just felt like, ah, something doesn't feel quite right or um, any hesitation in terms of just engaging with the hookup culture? Well, yeah, I think pretty much like every, every morning after I would experience like so much regret and like shame and almost have to like talk myself, like give myself a pep talk out of it or try and like debrief and process with someone who would affirm my behavior so that I would feel better about myself. But like, I would always feel off the next morning, like especially someone who struggles like with anxiety um, my anxiety would be out the roof the next day. And, um, and so, and I mean, immediately my mind and my body knew something was, was off like that. What I did, um, you know, the night before or the day before was like, not how I was intended to be living, but it was what everyone else seemed to be doing. And from all the pictures that looked like it was the right thing to be doing and, then you get the affirmation from people and, and you gain popularity. And so you're like, all right, like this is, um, you, you just believe the lie and you keep on finding yourself in, in that cycle. 
So I'd love to hear, Michelle, um, I think, you know, from knowing you and knowing your story, it wasn't really until after college that you kind of reconnected in your relationship with Christ. And so how did God meet you in that? I mean, you said you talked about feeling shame and regret after your night out. Um, how did God meet you in the middle of that and struggling with hooking up and with image? And um, yeah, how did your relationships change when God met you in the middle of that? So after college, I'll backtrack a little bit here. So, I mean, freshman year, I think I had a lot more feelings of shame and regret the next day. I think what ended up happening to my brain was I started to just um, like numb or even, I don't know if it's like new brain pathways, like we're just formed of like, this is, this is habit. This is the way that, you know, you do things like almost it like addictive behavior, right? Like if I wasn't going to do that, then like something was off, like my body and my brain were like starting to register that this is just the way that we do life. You know, after college, I, my drinking had gotten to a point where um, I was driving and drinking, um, sometimes uh, like being cognizant of it. And sometimes, you know, there would be like a fight or I would want to leave or something like that. And I didn't have, I didn't have friends who could take the keys away from me. And so, you know, sometimes I would end up back at home and as scary as this is like, I would wake up the next day and I was like, I didn't even know that I drove. Um, and so that was like really scary. And thankfully God stopped me in my tracks and that I ended up getting a DUI. So I think it was, I was in a kickball league trying to make friends and I fell asleep at the wheel, um, driving back. And, um, I, I ended up getting caught, getting booked, all of that, um, had to do 24 hours in jail. That was just like a, wow, crazy thing. And at the time I felt, I felt like my life was over. Um, I felt like there was no way coming back from this. And funny enough, like I, I probably would have ended up at a guy's house who I had been hooking up with if I had, if I hadn't gotten caught that night. And so I think it was a major blessing from God that, you know, I, I got caught and, and, um, I had to suffer the consequences of my behavior because I don't know where it otherwise would have led me. Yeah. So I think after that, I realized that I needed to really revisit the whole relationship with God thing that mm. I had been taught growing up. And, um, whether it looked the same as how I was taught, what a relationship with God looks like, or if it meant, you know, like finding new Christian community and trying to like relearn things and ask questions and sort through that started a whole healing process for me of putting drinking in its right, like right place, substance abuse, um, my sex life in its right place, like asking hard questions that I think I was really uncomfortable asking, um, growing up. Right. It was just like an unspoken kind of like shameful thing to talk about sex. Yeah. And I think when I stepped into Christian community for the first time as an adult, like I realized, no, it's worth having those conversations. Mm. Um, because that's life. Like God, like you had said at the beginning of the, the podcast, like God created sex. It's a wonderful thing. Like Jesus made water into wine. It can be a wonderful thing, but 
I wanted to understand it like through the lens of Jesus because I had been doing it through the lens of, of a lot of lies. And so, yeah, that was, that was a couple years after graduating. I mean, it, it took me kind of a while to um, almost like recover from this behavior that I had ingrained in myself during college, you know, over four years, it was like a lot of undoing and healing, um, both in my church community and in therapy. (laughs) So totally. I mean, this is something we'll dive into throughout the season, but yeah, I mean, when God meets us in the middle of whatever our mess is, I mean, he offers us healing and, and renewal and freedom. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, it's not something, it doesn't always happen overnight. Right. I mean, there's, Oh my gosh. It takes, yeah. I know it takes time. Like the lies that we believe, the lies that you are carrying around, it takes time for really God to pull those out of us or for us to almost like release our grip from these lies that are really informing uh, the ways that we behave and the decisions that we make. And I love that you mentioned therapy. Um, I mean, this is something we've talked about in the past on the podcast and something we will talk about this season on the podcast and how important it is having a therapist that you trust that can help you work through um, the lies that you might believe about yourself, um, about other people and about God. Yeah. There's a couple things that as you were sharing and came to mind, number one, just like talking about the cycle, you know, and how it started, um, just with kind of in- engaging with the culture, some, some like isolated actions and stuff like that. I, I, I've heard before that, um, there's often a progression, uh, to sin and how it manifests in, in life, you know, that it starts as an action uh, you do something and, uh, something feels a little off and maybe it feels a little shameful or whatever, uh, but it was just kind of an isolated incident. But then that isolated incident becomes a habit, like an action becomes a habit when you start doing it repeated and repeated. And then you, that's where you were talking about, like it almost creates like new brain pathways, just like new lifestyles that this is no, this is no longer just something I did once or twice. This is like, this is how I live, you know? And then the like ultimate, form is um, that habits become normative in culture. It becomes so normal that you could not imagine a lifestyle different from the one that you're living. You know, uh, you can't imagine finding, let's say, a guy that doesn't just say, um, yeah, you should just do whatever I want or whatever. Like you can't imagine finding a, a healthier sex life um, or like a, a redeemed version of it, if you will. And yeah, you become almost like a a slave, a slave to it, like something right, yeah. that you once were pursuing um, for probably more for like power, right? Like I was talking about the popularity, like doing it so totally. that I would have like a certain reputation or be known a certain way or be able to quote unquote brand myself, right? But then right. it ends up consuming you and it ends up, you end up becoming a slave to it because of just like what you were saying, like you feel as though you can't find anything better, that this is the way that life is and there is no option other than this. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'm wondering if you can share with us, um, and Mindy said this in the first episode, that when you make a decision to go against the culture around you, that can be really, really hard because there is a lot of pressure in Greek life to look a certain way, to act a certain way in the culture. And so when you start making decisions that are contrary to that, um, it can be really challenging. And so I'm wondering if you have tips um, or encouragement for how Greeks can have healthy 
God honoring dating relationships or even just like healthy platonic uh, relationships with the opposite sex? It's funny, right? Because I feel like I did everything in college, at least that, I mean, not everything that I did was bad. Like, I, I feel like I had also a lot of really great saying what I was saying before about just being like a tomboy um, growing up and then like coming to college. Like, I really enjoyed hanging out with my guy friends who I never hooked up with. And, you know, I was sober with them and I had a lot of fun with them. Like, I feel like I was the oldest of three girls growing up. And so I never had a brother. Right. Um, and I wasn't super close with my dad either. And so, so yeah, I think especially for anybody who, you know, hasn't really like experienced, um, like what it's like to have, you know, a brother, um, I feel like it, it's really great for you to be able to be in community with other dudes in like this community, like leadership context. Um, I feel like my closest friends in Greek life who I, who I had a kind of friendship like the one I'm describing with, a lot of them were in exec roles um, in their fraternity. And so, I mean, I even think about like my husband, right? Like he was the president of PiCap and um, I was friends with him. I met him the first week of college, um, but he was friend zone like the whole, the whole four years, five years. I mean, we didn't start dating until seven years after I'd known him. And so, um, yeah, I feel like he's a great example of someone that I got to like experience, <clears throat> excuse me on my voice. I got to experience genuine friendship with him and, um, really get to know like who he was apart from any sort of hidden agenda or like underlying sexual motives. Hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we have such a great marriage is because um, we like see one another as like like friends apart from physical any sort of physical attraction. The depth of support that we have for one another, investment in one another's goals, um, yeah, like all of that, it precedes what we experience in bed. Our sex life is not what keeps us together. It's the it's mm. like the foundation of friendship that I started with him back in 2006. And then all of a sudden I changed, you know, God, like, I get, I mean, I'm going to say it was God. Like all of a sudden I was like, oh, he's like husband material seven years later. So I, yeah. And I think I wasn't also able to see him in that light until I had done a lot of the healing and the undoing of all of this, like sexual trauma and like skewed perspective of sex, you know, that I had kind of ingrained in, in my mind and in my body over four or five years. And once that was kind of like undone and I was seeing everything like in the right light, um, thanks to like Christian community and those honest conversations that I was having about sex and how it's in, intended um, to be experienced and enjoyed was like, Oh, Greg, Hey, you know, um, <laughs> you, you know, talking about it as, uh, sex, not being the foundation of the relationship, like the friendship being the foundation of the relationship. You know, I, there was some point where it occurred to me that sex is at its best when it is the culmination of a relationship and not the creation 100%. of it. Like 100%. sex is the, but, but I, like a lot hookup culture reverses that. 
to say, no, actually sex is the create sex is what you start with. It's the attraction. It's the physicality. It's the hookup and uh, the performance in bed and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of the initial generating momentum of the relationship, uh, which, which you can get away with for a while, like practically speaking and stay together and stuff like that. But I love how you're, uh, years out of college now, you're ahead of the game and you, you could point to the fact that like, that's unsustainable. Like marriages don't survive off of good sex, you know, and it's just not a good long-term strategy. Like hookup being the foundation of the, the relationship isn't, a, it's, you can get away with it in the short term maybe, but it's not a good long-term game. And, um, you know, I think reversing the order order and seeing, no, like sex is the last thing you introduce because it should be the culmination of just like, man, I, I love this person. Like I love who they are, their character and like their goals and dreams and what they're doing in life and who they're becoming. And you know what? Like, I want to be a part of that story. Like I want to help this person become everything that God has intended them to become. And you know, what's also awesome we actually get to hook up uh, you know, <laughs> to, because we love each other so much. And it's kind of just like the, you know, whatever uh, it gets like sappy and, you know, idealistic or whatever. But I, I just think that's when it's at its best, you know, uh, and that's when it's most free because no longer does all the relationship, all the pressure of keeping this thing together depend on your performance in bed. Because like, let's be honest, like, Nobody is a sex God. Nobody always has it all together. So, you know, I'm getting nitty gritty here and like really diving <laughs> into it. But that's the reality is just like, hey, when when sex isn't the foundation, there's so much more freedom to sex. Mm -hmm. There's so much more like, uh, yeah, just not as much pressure and everything. And I think that's where it really works at its best. And it gets it gets better with time, you know, uh, versus like. You know, when it's the foundation of the relationship, it's just like, man, everything is riding on like keeping up the the performance and uh, keeping this thing going and keeping the magic and the fireworks and stuff. But that's just not how relationships work. Like at some point, you know, you're going to get bored of fireworks, you know, and what happens with like a lot of guys is just like, well, I want a different fireworks show where I just want that thrill again of the initial hookup. And I want that dopamine dump of having a new girl like pursue me or like me or respond to me. And, um, and, and I think, I mean, John, I think it happens on the flip side too, with women, like there are some women that I know having, I mean, we're going to be married like 10 years, um, next year. And there are, there are women, uh, who I know who are like, you know what, our sex life is not great and they've gotten divorced or they've moved on or they had an affair or whatever. Um, yeah. And so I think even, I mean, women struggle with it too. If they're no longer attracted to their husband, it's kind of like, if that's the basis, if that, right. if that is kind of what you're getting out of the relationship, then yes, like there, you will always be able to find someone else. Um, but a marriage should be about commitment and investment in the other person, right? Like sacrificing for one another. That's, that's love. That's what God did for us. Marriage yeah. and our relationship is intended to be something that like is just a taste and a glimpse of, directing us to to what Jesus accomplished on the cross and the sacrifice that he made for us. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, we uh we have a more topics in the future, but one of the people I was talking to who's going to come on and talk about body image and he was talking about how, you know, it's just so easy to look at someone else as an object to be consumed. Like to get your needs met, you know, 
versus what we believe as Christians and what God says about us is that we are not an object to be consumed. We are the image bearer of God. You know, we are made in his image. We are children who are precious to him. And we are meant to be image bearers who are cherished and who are honored and respected. Um, and, you know, what what does it look like for us to look at the opposite sex um, or the people that we are attracted to as image bearers, not objects? And what does it look like to see ourselves as image bearers and not an object that someone else gets to be gets to consume? And I think that's where. You know, us as living as Christ followers in the Greek system, I mean, it's a huge opportunity when we treat others like that and when we see ourselves like that. You know, we can be people who offer freedom and wholeness and healing uh, to our brothers and sisters around us. Um, and I, I want, you know, I, I would imagine that people who are listening to this, like you might, maybe you're stuck in the cycle of hooking up um, and you feel, maybe you're feeling some hopelessness or uh, Michelle talked about shame. Um, and I want you to hear that shame is not from God. Um, God has hope for you and redemption for you. Um, and I would encourage you um, to take some time and let God into that place where you maybe feel shame and just see what he has to say to you. So he does see you as someone who is worthy to be honored um, and to re be respected um, and that you are an image bearer. Um, you don't have to continue to be that object uh, that's consumed. And so I hope that you'll stick with us this season of the podcast. Michelle, I just want to thank you so much for what you shared. Um, really vulnerable, really honest. Um, and also, I love the way that you talked about your relationship with Greg um, and how you've experienced, you know, just this beautiful redemption to your story. I think we can get so stuck in the fact that, oh, so, you know, am I really, can God really redeem this? And I think in your story, I mean, you show, yes, God can redeem this. And I'm not the only one with this story that I'm not alone in this. And so, you know, I encourage you guys who are listening to this uh, to stick with us this season, I mean, we're going to have a couple episodes on sexual assault, both, you know, how do you find support for friends who are survivors or you yourself? And then how can fraternity men prevent sexual assault? We're going to have episodes on marriage. So there's one that's fully about marriage. Uh, there's an episode on singleness. You know, how, how does God meet you when you're single? And there's something joyful in that. Um, and there's going to be, like I said, body image. It's going to be an awesome season. So maybe Make sure to like and subscribe, follow us wherever you get your podcasts uh, so that you don't miss an episode and then follow us on Instagram as well at Greek IV uh, so that you can connect with us and hear all the great stuff that Greek InterVarsity has for you as you're figuring out this whole weird intersection of being Greek and Christian. So we'll see you next week for another episode. The Greek and Christian podcast is produced by Greek InterVarsity a nonprofit college ministry for fraternity and sorority students. Our ultimate vision is to see every fraternity and sorority connected to a community of Greek Christians so that every Greek is just one friend away from knowing and following Jesus. To learn more, find a community on campus, or partner with us, visit greek.intervarsity.org.